Welcome back and welcome to the bonus episode of me and my friend Pete, Lawyered. I'm so glad you can make it. This bonus episode, we run through Daredevil Volume 3, Number 1, Man Without Fear. So I am a huge Daredevil fan. I love Matt Murdock. I love Daredevil. I'm a huge fan of defense attorneys. From my Nana, I've gained a healthy love of a classic procedural. I've seen every episode of In the Heat of the Night and think it was a phenomenal, seminal show that really tackled racism and policing in a small southern town. Shout out to Mr. Tibbs. But more than In the Heat of the Night, I love Matlock. I think it's the greatest procedural ever done and think bar none, it's Andy Griffith's greatest television work. It had action, it had suspense. It forced you to pay attention because if you did, most episodes, you could learn a thing or two about paying attention. So. Shout out to my Nana who put me onto procedurals that were more than just good guys good, bad guys bad, because I know I enjoy Daredevil a lot more because of the great stories in his catalog that highlight his skills as a lawyer. He's a walking procedural over here, believe me. Back to. I like the premise of Daredevil's powers. I love the contradictions built into the character. I love his nobleness of spirit. And more important than that, I love his stories. Daredevil has some of the greatest plot lines in all of the Marvel Universe. Whether it's battling villains like Wilson the Kingpin Fisk, deadly hitmen like Bullseye, or sparring in a courtroom, Daredevil has a swagger about him you can't get by being afraid to step up when the challenges rise. In the world of the eye, the man who's gone blind is a king in my eyes and one of Marvel's greatest heroes. Hit that like button and let's get into it. Without further ado, I bring to ye Daredevil Volume 3, Number 1, Man Without Fear. Me and my best friend Pete. Old adventures, new critiques. He spins webs, I spin yarns. Kinda kooky, be forewarned. Look out, it's me and my friend Pete. The credits for this issue are many, so we will waste no time. The writer on this one is one of my favorite writers of all time, Mark Wade. He wrote my favorite Flash run of all time, blew my mind. Flash is my second favorite hero of all time for anybody who cares. So we got Spider-Man, we have The Flash, and we have Daredevil. And Mark Waid has written some amazing stories for The Flash and some amazing stories for Daredevil, one of which we get to dive into today. The penciler of this one is Paolo Rivera. He did the cover of the issue I own as well. I think there are four variant covers. Joe Rivera is the inker. Javier Rodriguez is the color artist. VC's Joe Caramagna is the letterer. Ellie Pyle is the assistant editor. Steven Wacker is the editor. Axel Alonso is the editor-in-chief. The legend Joe Quezada is the chief creative officer. Dan Buckley is the publisher. And Alan Fine is the executive producer. The first page of this issue. The first page of this issue was done by Fred Van Lent, Marcos Martin, and Blambot's Nate Pikos. Scholars and gentle people all. Before we get into the issue, you know the rules. I've got to let you know the hero will be following across rooftops and through fistfights in this story. Before we get to Hornhead, we have to take a moment for his superpowered adversary in this one. In the blue corner, the portal for hire, Spot. Spot first appeared in Peter Parker, The Spectacular Spider-Man in January of 1985. So he's an 80s baby. I don't do spotlights on any villain that make their first appearance in The Amazing Spider-Man, but Peter Parker, The Spectacular Spider-Man has its own beautiful and storied history. I didn't have very many Peter Parker Spectacular Spider-Man issues, but the ones that I did, they always seem to be happening at night. Spot's real name is Dr. Jonathan Ohm. He's 5 feet 10 inches, weighs 170 pounds, and has brown hair and blue eyes. Spot gained his powers while working for Daredevil's arch nemesis, the Kingpin. While researching teleportation, 
Dr. Rowan was teleported into the spotted dimension and returned transformed. His entire body was now covered in black spots of varying sizes. Some as small as periods, some as large as his torso. They change constantly. And Spot's skill set with these powers is pretty short. He can teleport items and people, including himself, through these spots and can also remove the spots from his body, suspending them in thin air or most surfaces, creating wormholes. And that list may be short, but I think it's a dangerous power for anyone to have, especially an intelligent man lacking ethics. Spot's costume is probably the only one in comics I've ever seen that creeps me out. The way the spots sit all over each other on the all-white of his costume reminds me of the lotus flower. Gives me a little bit of trypophobia. All the villains in the Marvel Universe and they give the scariest costume to Spot. And his opponent, fighting out of the red corner, the Devil of Hell's Kitchen. Yes! The Hornhead. Yes! Blind Justice. Yes! The man without fear himself. Daredevil. Daredevil first appeared in Daredevil number one in April of 1964. He's got blue eyes and red hair, making him the second coolest redhead in the Marvel Universe behind her. You know who I'm talking about. Take it easy, Tiger. We're gonna get there. Back to it. Born Matthew Michael Murdoch. Matt was raised by his boxer father, Battling Jack Murdoch. His mother Maggie Murdoch left the family when he was a baby after suffering postpartum depression following Matt's birth, going so far as to try to kill the young boy. She became a Roman Catholic nun, leaving Matt to be raised by his father. Matthew, taking after his parents, is a devoutly religious Catholic who has great ties with men and women of the cloth, his mother being one of them. A lot of his greatest storylines have him struggling with his faith, his career, and his vigilanteism, trying to find a balance between the three the devil's trinity. Matt's father didn't want him to be a fighter and made Matt promise to do well in school and get an education because he feared that Matt would follow in his footsteps. Matt made that promise, which led to him being an outcast amongst the boys being boys because he refused to fight, but he still trained in secret because he, like most boys, wanted to be like his dad, whether Jack wanted it or not. On the day that changed the young Matthew's life, he saw a blind man crossing the street just before he saw a truck barreling towards this blind man. Matt acted fast, rushing to the man and pushing him out of the way but Matt was struck by a radioactive canister that fell from the back of the truck. It was the last day Matt would ever see the world. How we see it. The accident, despite taking his vision, enhanced his other senses to superhuman levels. His sense of touch is so acute, he can read by running his fingers over a page and feeling the raised ink. While doing this, he can differentiate between colors in the ink. He can also feel the tiny differences in the mechanisms on hidden panels, combination locks, key doors, etc., making him an excellent lockpick. He can pick out conversations and sounds that are far from where he's standing, sometimes 30 to 40 miles away with his sense of hearing. He can hear pressure points and also uses his hearing to read people's heartbeats as a human lie detector. His sense of smell allows him to pick out and remember individuals' unique scents, even if they try to cover it up to a distance of 50 feet. He can distinguish between different chemicals in the air based off of scent alone and has committed so many scents to memory that he can stand in a room and be a one-man forensics team. And finally, he has developed a sort of echolocation that combines all these senses and paints what I'd describe as a 3D blueprint of the world around him. The more sound, smells, and solid objects in an area, the more precise his radar becomes. Fun fact, Daredevil cannot see his reflection in a mirror, although he can see the mirror. He can't see anything moving on a truly 2D plane, such as television screens, movie screens, etc. He can't see skin color or the color of anyone's eyes, but trust me when I say, Daredevil sees everyone. Powers aside, Daredevil was a highly trained martial artist. After gaining his powers, he went out in search of someone who could help him control them, and he met Stick, 
a blind former ninja master who trained him in several arts of hand-to-hand -hand combat, including, but not limited to, capoeira, wrestling, salat, kung fu, judo, karate, aikido, ninjutsu, jujutsu, and of course, American boxing. He is an Olympic level athlete and a master tracker. As Matt Murdock, he carries a white cane that doubles into a grappling hook slash billy club when he throws a DD red on. Matt, now in control of his gifts, took his father's advice and did well in school, well enough to become a gifted young lawyer. But disaster struck Matt Murdock again. A Hell's Kitchen mob boss known as The Fixer ordered Jack Murdock to throw a boxing match. Jack Murdock, with Matthew in the audience, won instead. The Fixer had him killed, but he didn't know he had a devil coming for him. Donning the alias of Daredevil for the first time, Matt brought the Fixer to justice and thus began the superheroing career of the man without fear. Daredevil is respected throughout the superhero community by everyone. He counts Spider-Man, Luke Cage, Iron Fist, and Black Widow amongst his closest superhero allies and has been a member of the New Avengers, the Defenders, and has even had a run as a leader of the criminal organization known as The Hand. Matt's also a bit of a ladies man. Where we see Pete struggling to get a date, we see Matt struggling to keep his relationships alive. His most notable relationships were with Elektra and Karen Page, both killed by his most dangerous opponent, Bullseye. He has a dalliance with the Black Cat in this run we're about to get into. He's dated Black Widow and usually tends to charm women with his witty banner and roguish attitude. Confidence, as they say, is sexy and DD is oozing with the confidence. Daredevil's Netflix series starring Charlie Cox is my all-time favorite Netflix show and worth a watch for any fan of the Hornhead, with season two being especially well done. Final fun fact on Daredevil, his origin story is directly tied to the birth of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. The ooze that fell in his eyes was the same ooze that found its way into the sewers with the greatest quartet of Renaissance-inspired badasses ever. Shout out to Jody V who pointed this awesome fact out to me. There's a great article on ScreenRant.com written by Michael Jung that goes in-depth on their connection. With all that said, let's get back to the match. We've got the spot in the blue corner. We've got Daredevil in the red corner. Can I get a bell? Let's get it on! Me and my best friend Pete. Old adventures, new critiques. He spins webs, I spin yarns. Kinda kooky, be forewarned. Look out, it's me and my friend P. So we get to the cover, and this is one of the most thoughtful and inspired covers I've ever seen. And Daredevil has some of the most iconic covers in the game. This one has Daredevil high above a whited out city. His billy club is split apart, and he's holding it in in each hand with the cord attaching the two ends swirling around him. Above him, his name is in the dynamic blood red of his costume. The billy club in his left hand is covering his eyes. His right arm is across his body, and he seems to be leaping from the water tower beneath him. The beauty of this cover, however, is in the whited out city. Everything in it, every building, every water tower, every pigeon, is drawn using words as the outlines. There are three pigeons in this image, two flying in front of him, one in back, and they are all drawn using the word flap. It's beautiful. The water tower beneath him is drawn using the words glug and gurgle, etc. And all the buildings are whirring, hissing, and whooshing. I think it's a gorgeous, gorgeous cover. Inventive. Simple, clean, I like it a lot. We turn to page one and we see Daredevil in the lower left half of the page, his legs together, his arms wide, and he's throwing one end of his billy club out towards the lower right of the panel. There are blacked out buildings behind him and above him, and we get a recap of his life story in a bunch of small panels. We've done his origin so we can skip what's said here, but it's beautiful art and a nice recap. We have Matt pushing the old timer out of the way, his father's boxing glove fist raised in the air, a heartbeat, his raider sense, the scales of justice, it's very thorough and a beautiful page. We turn to page two and we get a beautifully drawn three panel page. The first gives us a beautiful image of a sprawling white and red tiled roof structure. 
If you're from New York, you'll recognize this as the Cloisters. Shout out to Dykeman. The second panel is large and takes up most of the page. And we see Daredevil, his back to us, his right ungloved hand behind his back gripping a piece of paper, his billy club extended to a short staff in his left hand, and his legs spread out balancing between two pillars on a building in the Cloisters. He's facing a bullseye window with his head back, and he's thinking it must be a beautiful sight. The final panel, we see Daredevil's head from a side view surrounded by black with pink echolocation lines radiating out from his head. As he says, an accident took his vision, so he's going to tell us what he sees. We move on to page three, and we get a black and pink world in the first panel. We're in a courtyard filled with people, but they are all lacking in any colorful details, just outlines. Daredevil sees a courtyard filled with tuxedos and gowns and chairs that creak like wooden chips. He sees the sound of laughter on the wind. He tastes the saltiness of tears. We get a close-up on his right hand where the slip of paper is as he works his thumb over it. This slip of paper is a wedding invitation to the marriage of Deborah Giacomo and Vincent Petrocelli. Daredevil smiles and says way in the back he smells the bride. He says she smells like jasmine, cardamom, carnation, and lemon and pegs the perfume she's wearing as Clive Christian. And Daredevil's got some culture, so he knows the perfume is expensive and calls it as a good choice. I'm not cultured. So I looked it up, and the man was right. The average price for a bottle of Clive Christian perfume is $300. I knew it was expensive because there were no prices listed anywhere on their website. Just a little box where you could put your email address in, like, we'll get back to you with pricing, sir. I fold. You gotta know. Back to. In the final panel, we get the whole wedding in color. We see Daredevil on the roof of the building bordering the courtyard, while beneath him, the bride stands with her father and onlookers. We have people smiling, there's a photographer taking pictures, there's a couple of security mafia dudes in the background, and a beautiful flower girl in a purple dress with a pink sash around her waist and a crown of carnations, tossing flowers in front of the bride as she walks towards the altar where the minister is waiting. So Daredevil is thinking that he's crashing this wedding because he heard there was a hit plan and wonders who would be crazy enough to pull a gun in this crowd when he notices a shift in the organ music and we see a tiny spot pop up in front of the flower girl. We turn the page and Daredevil realizes as Spot's hand creeps out of the hole towards the flower girl that this isn't a hit. It's a snatch and grab with the flower girl as the target. He leaps down from his perch, lands on the edges of the growing spot on the ground, and grabbing the girl up, leaps towards a nearby tree. The minister shouts, Daredevil! And the game is on. Daredevil says kidnapping the little girl is a smart plan because the Yakamos would pay anything for their princess. At the same time, a mafia guy pulls out a handgun. He's screaming, he's got Katie! Take him down! But the bride grabs the man's arm screaming, don't shoot, you'll hit her. Daredevil knows he's in hot water because now the mob thinks he's kidnapping Katie. Daredevil grabs a tree branch and flips over it. Katie's still tucked in his right arm. Spot's arms are creeping out of two more portals above the branch as he's doing this flip. Daredevil thinks that Spider-Man told him about the spot before and has the same thought that I often do. Dumb name, disturbing power. He thinks Spot strikes like a cobra through holes in space he can open up at will. And in the final panel, we see Daredevil's right. As he's landing with Katie, who's covering her eyes, we see a small spot pop up on the ground where Daredevil is set to land. We get our first ad in this one for Captain America, Super Soldier. Wield the shield, it says. I remember seeing the gameplay of this game at a Comic-Con. It reminded me of the fight mechanics in the Batman Arkham Asylum series, but the graphics weren't as polished, so I never played it. My age is showing hard right now because this game came out for PS3. Whew, time flies when you're having fun. You turn to page 5 and we see Daredevil was ready for Spot. Bracing his feet on the edge of the circle and falling backwards, he takes his billy club in his left hand and cracks Spot on the head. 
As the villain reaches out to grab Katie, Daredevil thanks his radar sense before dropping his cane, shifting into a handstand, and kicking the spot with both feet across the face. The action in this page is beautiful. The final panel on this page, we get a disturbing vision of what the spot looks like through Daredevil's radar sense, and he is just a human form with giant holes ripping through his flesh in random location. His forearms, his head, his chest, he looks like he survived the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Daredevil sees this and admits he doesn't have the slightest idea where he could put the girl where she would be safe. This is a beautiful page all around. In every panel, we see the security team trying to get in position to help, but they are too slow just running around with their guns drawn, stuck on useless as Daredevil battles the spot, and caught him with a two-piece with the biscuit with the two feet at one time across the face. Wild. Daredevil was working right now. Page six, we see some beautiful panel work again. Shout out to Paulo Rivera. His layout game in this one is pitch perfect. This sequence has Daredevil cracking the Spot's hands and the Spot's hands are grimacing in all different forms. It's really beautiful art going on. And at the end of the sequence, we see Daredevil both feet again on Spot's head. Daredevil just putting his feet all over this man's face. We see Daredevil both feet on the Spot's head leaping off of him. All this is happening and Daredevil, unsure of where he can put Katie, says he's running a blind man's bluff. So he does a little double entendre action there. Wade and Rivera are grooving right now. They're grooving. The bluff? Daredevil shouts to the Mafia that he's saving Katie, that it's the Spot trying to kidnap her, and that the Spot's working with an inside man. Daredevil saying all of this while he's flipping in midair, holding Katie. He listens to the heartbeats of all the guests. He says he's waiting for one to panic. He's waiting for one heartbeat to spike. And one does. In the final panel, Daredevil lands a few feet behind the man and shouts his name at the same time pointing at the man with his billy club. And I'm really feeling for Katie. This girl is being traumatized. She's still covering her eyes and that's good because the boss asks Sal if it's true and Sal pulls out his pistol stammering and stuttering. He's wearing a black suit, red tie. He's got brown hair and a chubby face and sweat's just pouring from his temples. You know he lying. We know he lying. We turn the page and we see Sal gun drawn in full on panic mode. He calls Daredevil a costume freak. He asks Daredevil how he knew. And then not even a moment after, he starts ratting. He's telling the entire party that he'll tell them everything they want to know about the spot. But he hasn't noticed the large black spot growing from behind his tie. By the time he does, a hand is creeping through it. The spot's right hand, as the spot's left hand, comes through a spot on Sal's back. Katie chooses this moment to open her eyes, and she says, Uncle Sal? Daredevil's own eyes open wide in terror, and in the next panel, we see him shielding Katie's face once more. In the final panel, Spot twists Sal Donarati's neck 180 degrees, a move that's accompanied by a loud and vicious crack. Thus ends the life of Sal Donarati, the rat. That's just how it goes. We get our second ad here for a show called Alphas that I've never seen, but Malik Yoba is in it. Malik Yoba of New York Undercover fame, Abolish the Police. I actually met Malik Yoba twice, once as a kid on the trip to the Intrepid with my science teacher. Shout out to Miss Tamplin. Then again as an adult in Chelsea Market. Both times he seemed gracious and pretty cool. Huge influence on my life. I saw every episode of New York Undercover and loved the show so much I wanted to adopt fist bumps as goodbyes instead of hand slaps before it was a cool thing to do. What up, Diego, my childhood friend who hated that shit? The fist bumps, not the show, with a passion. Shout out to Malik Yoba. Shout out to Jebel the Great One. Back to, we get to... The Infinity, 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 Infinity Page. Page. 
just in time to see Sal the Rat's body fall into the ground as Daredevil shields Katie's eyes. But Spot is still on the move and we see a portal pop up behind Daredevil's head. Spot has not stopped trying to grab Katie this entire time. Every time Daredevil's been fighting him off, fighting him off, if Daredevil's got sidetracked, Spot has been relentlessly pursuing Katie. He's really trying to get this snatch and grab. So we see a portal pop up behind Daredevil's head and he shoves Katie into the groom's hand shouting, you take her, and turns to the bride saying, and you. The one who kept me from getting shot. Before I do this, there's something I have to tell you. Just as Spot's hand stretches towards the back of Daredevil's head. In the next panel, we see the set of bronze stones on the man without fear as he finishes his thought saying, that perfume drives me wild. While he says it, he wraps his left hand around the bride's waist and using his billy club to lift her veil, his right hand out behind him, he dips her and kisses her full on in the mouth. She gives a surprise mmm, then quickly becomes mmm and time freezes as the man without fear steals one from a mob boss's daughter. Behind them, the groom has an angry surprised look on his face, of course. He's in a three-piece suit, black with a teal vest and bow tie, but that's just not cool enough in this moment. While the groom's watching them, holding Katie up and to the left, Spot's hand creeps out of thin air towards her again, but Daredevil can walk and chew bubblegum at the same time. He grabs the Spot's arm with his right hand and shouts at the trio to run, and they do, but the look of fury on the groom's face will not get any better knowing his bride-to-be enjoyed that kiss. They're running, but she's looking back, and she whispers, quote, wow, end quote. For the record, this is not okay. You should never just grab anybody and kiss them, no matter if they enjoy it after the fact or not. Daredevil being a womanizer is one of his larger character flaws and it's on display in this moment right now and that needs to be said. It looks cool, absolutely, but it isn't. Back to. The coolest thing about the final panel on this page is, as Daredevil is pulling Spot out of the hole, his thumb goes through one of Spot's portals on his wrist and comes out through a smaller portal on his forearm. That attention to detail is where it's at. I like that a lot. We move from that final panel and we see Daredevil made a mistake. The portal that Daredevil had his hand through grabbing at the spot has now grown into a large black hole and Daredevil is being sucked in. He thinks he didn't expect this and adds that whatever's on the other side feels like jagged ice. While he's struggling to wrench his hand free, four more portals open up behind him and we see four hands grabbing at him. Daredevil thinks, I could just let go and run. But as Spot's right hand creeps out of a portal and covers Daredevil's face, we see him smile before tossing one end of his billy club towards a nearby pillar. The billy club wraps around it and returns to Daredevil's left hand before we get the final panel. Spot's left hand straining against Daredevil's billy club string and Daredevil leaping into the portal head first. All we see are his boots as he thinks, yeah right. Daredevil's not gonna run, man without fear. We turn the page and see the beauty of the Marvel Universe, the interconnectivity of all the heroes and stories. The entire page is a front page spread of the Daily Bugle. I say what I want about JJ, but he loves his city. How do I know? The paper, the Daily Bugle, founded in 1897, is $1 in the city and a buck fifty outside of it. You ain't a New Yorker, cough up the coin. I didn't make the rules, but there they are. Above the front page spread that I'll get to in a moment, we have what we can find in this paper. Rock stocks on the rise. Roxxon being a typically evil corporation in the Marvel Universe. If you're a fan of the Cloak and Dagger television show that aired a couple of years ago, you know Roxxon, so they probably did something shady to inflate their stock prices. We have an article from Ben Urich, a reporter who first appeared in Daredevil, played in the Netflix series Awesomely by Von D. Curtis Hall. Shout out to Von D. Curtis Hall. And Urich's written an article about Jameson's falling poll numbers. 
You heard me right. We're in a space and time where John Jonah Jameson Jr. is the mayor of New York City. Respect had to be put on his name whether I want to or not. In this issue, I gotta call the man Mayor Jameson. I don't like it, but here we are. We have another article by someone named Winters on a Punisher copycat. So that article is clearly about the NYPD. And then we have the rumor mill. That third-rate ball club from Queens may have contacted a one Benjamin J. Grimm, better known as The Thing, to play for their ball club. I think they could get the whole Fantastic Four and still only be second best in Yankee Town, USA. Finally, we have the full-page spread, and it's a photo of Daredevil stealing a kiss from the bride. And I know the groom is sitting in their home right now eating his pasta fazool, and he's steaming. Above this image, we get the title of the comic, Man Without Fear, in lime green and orange. On the bride's dress in black, it says, Wedding Hells, as Daredevil locks lips with Mafia Princess Deborah Yakimo. Photo by Gene Everett Wood. The name Gene Everett Wood is a nod to three former Daredevil creators, Gene Colan, Bill Everett, and Wally Wood, respectively. Nice little nod to some of the craftsmen involved. Shout out to you gents, thank you for the story. And we get a small picture beneath Daredevil kissing the bride, showing us what happened to Spot. Both ends of Daredevil's billy club, attached by the string, are poking out of random spots all over Spot's body, with one portion even sticking out of his left eye. DD used the man's own portals to tangle him up in a billy club web. Genius! Besides this image, it says, Daredevil KO Spot, PO's Mob. This ad has Daniel Radcliffe in it in his most famous role. He's promoting Universal Studios. We all know what Daniel Radcliffe is famous for. Shout out to him. That's it. We turn to page 11 and we see a brown-haired man reading the Daily Bugle. And he says, So then what happened, Mr. Murdoch, huh? What happened in the hole with the spot? Did you get him? The camera zooms out and we see that this guy is wearing all black with an olive apron on and he's running a coffee stand. His name is Stu. We got Matt Murdock on scene. He's in a black suit, red tie. He's got his dark shades on and his white cane. And he's, of course, got his awesome head of red hair working. Looks messy, but you know it's a controlled, tousled look. He's working it. He's really working the blind man thing. All right, that's a quote from Electra. They're standing outside of 601 Lexington Avenue, judging from the stilted building in the background. And Matt, in response to Stu, is telling him, I'm not Daredevil. And of course, Stu Press is saying, you can tell me, counselor, what about Sal? Is he sleeping with the fishes? And Dee Dee says again, I'm not Daredevil, Stu. Stu brushes him off and says, quote, so let's talk kissing the bride at a mob wedding. That took sack. How was it? And I think that is the line of the comic. That took sack. How was it? Wild boy, Daredevil, and he has respect for the people on the street. And Matt, of course, he says, you have to ask Daredevil, Stu. We get a close-up on Stu's face, and he's not happy at all. He says, fine. If Matt's not Daredevil, he has to pay for his coffee, and Matt says, that's fine. You got changed for a 20? And Stu says, that's a 5. And Matt says, whoops. So we see Matt do this a lot. People will accuse him of being Daredevil, and he'll lean into his blindness, kind of mocking them, but at the same time, showing them how absurd it would be if he was Daredevil. Me, a blind man, Daredevil. But absurdities make the best stories, and he is an awesome absurdity. In the final panel, we see Matt walking towards the entrance of 601. He's tapping his white cane, he's whistling, and he explains to us why Stu thinks he's there though. Matt thinks in this world of constant surveillance and Big Brother, it's a bitch to maintain a secret identity. The first panel of page 12, we get the outside of 601 Lexington Avenue from the ground. This building is an engineering marvel held up on giant nine-story tall stilts. The story behind why the building was built this way is a great bit of New York history, and I say go hunt. Go learn that story. But I also want to say shout out to Diane Hartley, a woman who, while doing her college thesis, discovered a huge design flaw in the building that was corrected because of her work. 
Give that woman a key to the city. One more time, shout out for Diane Hartley. Back two. So we see Daredevil tapping his way towards 601 Lex, and he continues saying that despite how hard he tried, at the end of the day, the 24-hour news cycle, the fast-paced gossiping of New York, and the fact that he's blind, all made him being Daredevil seem laughable. He thinks it's funny now, but at one point, he had to leave the city, his practice, and his friends behind because of the problems being Daredevil caused. Matt enters the building, he steps through the metal detector, coffee in his left hand, his right extended to get his white cane back from the courthouse officer holding it for him, and Matt thinks he's home and he's ready to start fresh. That it's either start fresh or go insane. Again. And as Matt passes through the detector, Foggy Nelson, his best friend and law partner, comes running up to Matt. Foggy Nelson knows everything about Matt, including the fact that he's Daredevil, and Foggy's wearing a grayish green suit with an olive green vest and a matching bow tie. He's about 5'10", so Matt's got about an inch on him. So Foggy's running up to him, and he's asking Matt, does he know the time, because Matt is late. They're walking down the hall now, and Matt cracks wise. He says, son, barometrics, what, about 10'10"? And Foggy's like, yeah, okay, but I told you to get here before the vultures gathered. Shout out to Lincoln or Vulture. While Foggy's talking, Matt's thinking Foggy is the other half of Matt's practice, Nelson and Murdoch. He thinks Foggy is his partner because he's a brilliant litigator and an encyclopedia when it comes to case law. And this makes me wonder if Foggy Nelson is well-versed in New York City bird law. Hmm, who knows? So Matt continues, he's thinking he's Foggy's partner because of people's hesitance to hire a man who calls himself Foggy. I think that shows great character and sense of self on Foggy's part. His real name's Franklin, but he loves the nickname Foggy and he leads his life with the name he chose. That takes bravery when you choose a name like Foggy. That takes bravery when you choose any name not given to you but chosen for yourself. Shout out to the brave ones out there. In the final panel, Matt and Foggy are turning the corner at the end of the hall and Foggy tells Matt, you're good at superheroing, let's see how you are at crowd control. We turn the page and it's a media circus. We've got police on scene in this hallway, we've got cameras flashing, people are taking pictures with their smartphones, Foggy has a hand on Matt's shoulder and he's pushing him through the crowd as Matt is bombarded with questions. Back in court, Daredevil, how's it feel to be? question from old blog. You're Daredevil, you have a dead diva in your life. Did you expect the jury to ask for autographs? Truth justice isn't blind in this case. He raises his coffee high so it doesn't spill on him and they walk through the crowd. They reach the door of the courtroom they're entering and Matt says he was sure they were past that kind of attention. And Foggy says it could be worse, it could be worse. It was only paparazzi and bloggers, we could deal with that. Matt no looks his coffee cup into a nearby trash can and they enter the courtroom. We get a shot behind Matt as he's questioning a man named Mr. Jabrani. This man is wearing a tan kufi on his head, he has brown skin, and he's wearing a light blue suit, orange tie, and tan shirt. Who styled him? I don't know. His left arm is in a sling. We have a white judge, he's in a robe, he's got the Carl Winslow working, shade black, and Matt's thinking, it gets worse, as he's trying to get answers from Jabrani. Matt says, and you claim the officer in question hurled racial epithets at you as he dragged you from your vehicle, Mr. Jabrani? Could you repeat? But the defense immediately calls an objection. We get to the final panel on the page and we see a black man. He's in a green suit, blue shirt, black tie. He's got a full goatee and curly hair and he's sitting next to who I assume is the police officer he's defending. The police officer is a white guy, blue shirt, olive tie, and gray suit. He has white hair. He's an older man. The defense says he questioned counsels, Matt's reasons for bringing charges of police brutality, especially since as the vigilante daredevil, Matthew's relationship with patrolman is already adversarial. This man is out here caping for a cop who beat up an innocent man. And Matt, what can he do? He's just been lawyered. 
Shout out to Marshall Erickson. Shout out to Jason Siegel. And Matt puts his head up to the ceiling and sighs, thinking, and so it goes. On page 14, we see Matt standing silently, his hands gripping the top of his white cane. We're behind the defense attorney. For the next 30 minutes, Matt thinks this defense attorney makes the case nothing about Mr. Jabrani seeking justice and everything about Matt Murdock being Daredevil. Matt thinks he'd be impressed if it didn't make him want to strangle the guy. We get a close up on Jabrani and Foggy next, both men looking worried. Foggy in particular is holding his mouth like he's about to be sick. And Matt senses Jabrani's heartbeat and sweat and realizes his client is losing faith in him. At the same time, we hear the bang of the gavel. The judge bangs the gavel twice more and says he's granting the plaintiff a continuance. A court version of a to be continued, basically. Matt starts to say that they didn't ask for one, but the judge has seen enough. He says Mr. Jabrani will need time. We have the defense lawyer with his arms folded. He's got a smug smile on his face, and I know he's everything wrong with lawyers. The ones that want to win more than they want to see justice done. Matt literally tries to plead his case, but the judge cuts him off, saying, Mr. Jabrani, the court apologizes, but I strongly suggest you find yourself a new lawyer. This one's doing you no favors. See the bailiff for rescheduling. Jabrani asks Matt if he can do that, but as usual, it's Foggy who answers. Foggy says this can happen in extreme cases and only if the defense doesn't object. But Foggy knows law and Foggy knows lawyers and he says the defense won't object because he wants to win clean rather than on appeal. And why would this defense attorney want to win on appeal? He's young, he's ambitious, he gets a clean win for the police. He's probably thinking a career in politics. An appeal win is just going to slow down his process. Donuts and dimes, I'm telling y'all, donuts and dimes. In the final panel, we see Matt shaking Mr. Jabrani's hand and he's telling the man that he's going to refer him to a different lawyer and foot the bill himself for the trouble. He tells Foggy to call Michelle Gonzalez to see if she wants the action. He's footing the bill and he's sending Jabrani to a skilled lawyer because Matt only deals with honest, skilled lawyers and a woman of color. It isn't to be applauded, but expected. Matt tells Foggy finally that he'll meet him back at the office. We turn to page 15 and we get a landscape scene of Hell's Kitchen at dusk. The sky is orange, the buildings are different shades from pink to red orange, and we find Matt on the roof of one of these buildings outside in his feelings. He's thinking he's rusty. He takes a shot at the defense lawyer saying he let a man who used frequent flyer miles to buy his law degree beat him. He's thinking he'll be ready next time. He'll listen to Foggy and he'll be on time and he'll dodge the press. He lowers his head. He thinks next time he won't embarrass Foggy. Matt may be daredevil, but in his personal life, he really does thrive on that partnership with Foggy. And Foggy, look, my nan used to say I stay ready so I don't have to get ready. And Foggy's that type of person. Man wears bow ties regularly. He loves what he does and he's on time to do it. He's living his dream and he knows it. He's ready and Matt's trying to get like him. So Matt's in his feelings. He's throwing a pity party for himself, but the pity party has to end. We see Matt remove his glasses. He has his top button on his shirt open and his jacket and tie draped over his right arm. The white cane in his hand, the mask of a smile back on his face. As the outline of a young woman walks to the edge of the roof where he's standing. She's got a stylized blazer on with the buckle wrapping her waist with the sleeves rolled up. Flowing hair in a ponytail, a skirt, heels, and a folder clutch in her left hand. But we're seeing the world as Matt does, in outlines of black and pink, his sixth sense creating the radar, the devil as always in the details. And here's what Matt thinks. Too much for the solitude of the office rooftop. Someone's coming. Act surprised. Five, six, about one thirty. Confident posture. She scuffs her soles along the concrete to warn the blind guy that he has company. Thoughtful. Then Matt says, hello, is someone there? Page 16 and we see both people standing side by side in color. The woman has very tan skin and says she and Matt haven't met, but her name is Kirsten McDuffie and she's the new assistant district attorney. She's got a pencil behind her right ear, purple eyeshadow, a little blush. That flowing hair is jet black. Her suit looks like Chanel, judging from the belt and buttons. That's a pretty penny. It's a pretty suit. So she's got style and maybe a little wealth. She says Matthew's receptionist said he'd be up there and tells Matt that he's awfully close to the edge. And Matt replies, it's like you know me already. 
Because shoot or shoot. But Miss McDuffie's not having it. She dikembe's it. No, no, no. Saying the building. Awfully close to the edge of the building. All right, nice try, Hornhead the horn dog. She adds, quote, Unless, of course, you're counting how many flagpoles there are to bounce off of. Matt thinks three and says, Oh, brother, another daredevil joke. But McDuffie says nobody's joking. She says what Matt went through earlier in the courtroom was nothing. She says every lawyer he goes up against is going to use Daredevil against him every time he steps into a courtroom. In the final panel, McDuffie opens up the folder that was under her arm as Matt denies being Daredevil again. They go back and forth, McDuffie saying Matt doesn't seem to understand the truth for somebody who calls themselves a lawyer. Matt says, really? Really? You really think I'm Daredevil? Me? And McDuffie says, quote, I really know you're Daredevil. My nephew knows it. He still believes in Santa. Let's get to why I'm here. Like my brother, call it what you want, but I know you're a daredevil. You don't have to admit it to me, but you can't dissuade me from it. We turn the page and we get a two page ad for Captain America. He's all over this issue. Captain Capitalist in this one and this two page ad tells us we can win $100,000 or of course the thousands of other prizes you actually have a chance at winning if we help Captain America find the Red Skull. But where could the Red Skull be hiding? and packs of Eclipse gum, of course. So at this time, the first Captain America Marvel Cinematic Universe movie was about to hit theaters, Captain America, the first Avenger. There's no pizzazz to this. The whole cell is how badass Chris Evans looks in the Captain America costume. Shout out to Chris Evans. Captain America Winter Soldier is one of my personal favorite MCU movies. The first Avenger wasn't bad either. Back two, we get to page 17, and McDuffie is giving Matt good advice. She's saying that nobody can stop him from practicing law, but she'd like him to consider how his celebrity could hurt his clients in a judicial system that's already overburdened. And Matt says, mm-hmm. He asks her if she gives this speech to all the lawyers who are in Daredevil. McDuffie doesn't respond. She pulls the pencil from behind her ear and flings it at Matt, who lets it hit him in the forehead before screaming, did you just throw something at me? McDuffie's clever. She says, yeah, a chance to come clean and tells Matt to think about what she said. Matt's rubbing a spot on his forehead where the pencil hit him, and he replies that he's a very good trial lawyer, to which McDuffie says, that just makes the loss of him in the courtroom all that more tragic. She says before Matt came back around, no attorney in the city would take Jabrani's case. And this makes Matt curious. He asks why nobody would take Jabrani's case because Jabrani has hard evidence. So this is a cakewalk case. Lawyers won't win, this is a cakewalk. Why would lawyers not want to take this case? As McDuffie pulls the door open to the roof, Matt asks if she's saying someone scared other lawyers off and she replies that if she were Daredevil, those are the questions that she'd be asking. We get to page 18, the door to the rooftop barely closes before Matt has Foggy on the line telling him to hold off on referring Jabrani to another lawyer. We see him pop the billy club from his white cane and twirling the cane around in his left hand, he whips it forward, transforming the tip into a hook. With his right hand, he undoes the buttons to his button up and backflips from the roof. He pops the hook on his billy club cane and it latches onto the ledge of the building. In the final panel, we see Daredevil's gloved hand tossing his clothes into an open window. He was Daredevil before he got past one window. That's how strong his quick change game is. If Daredevil needs to go, he's going. He's gone. I like it. Page 19 opens and we have Daredevil swinging high above Hell's Kitchen in a very dynamic pose. In the first panel, he's looking over his shoulder and I assume, because of the way he's backflipping in the next panel, that he's moving forward, facing backwards, high above the street. Just fearlessness. The man without fear. And he's thinking to himself that he ran a background check on Jabrani and the man is clean. While backflipping, he wonders what makes a Muslim shop owner so dangerous to defend that trial and also wonders if Jabrani is really the target. And in the final panel on this page, we see the world as Daredevil does. We're in black and pink radar mode. Here's the outline of a rooftop and a person holding a weapon with both hands in front of a water tower. Daredevil notices the person. He notices it's a man, but says the person is too far away to get much of a reading. We turn to page 20 and we see the gun is a grenade launcher. It's raised in the air and two shots are fired high above Daredevil's head in the darkness where the grenade rounds burst. 
Daredevil is trying to get a read on whoever took the shot, but the grenade rounds fired were shaft. If you've ever played Metal Gear Solid for PlayStation or are in the military, you're familiar with shaft grenades. If not, according to Wikipedia, chaff is a radar countermeasure in which aircraft or other targets spread a cloud of small, thin pieces of aluminum, metallized glass fiber or plastic, which either appears as a cluster of primary targets on radar screens or swamps the screen with multiple returns. So essentially what Shaft does is rain metal shavings and these metal shavings interfere with radar. In Metal Gear Solid, I use them to get by cameras without being spotted. Shout out to Solid Snake, back two. In the final panel, Daredevil recognizes the Shaft immediately because his radar shuts down. And now seeing as he does, we can't make anything out. He's essentially standing in a blizzard and he thinks it, he knows it. He thinks whoever this person is knows him. But Daredevil knows this gambit. He knows what's gonna happen. People who attack him using his radar, something else always follows and he senses something rocketing towards him fast we turn to the final page of the story and we see daredevil in his right hand he's twirling his billy cane trying to defend himself from he doesn't know what and in his left hand he's tapping the end of his billy club on the wall beside him trying to see through the storm what he doesn't see that we do is the red white and blue shield barreling towards him from around a no pun intended blind corner so cap had a game release in the morning got that done Ran around doing promo shoots all afternoon for his movie, got that done. Ran around all evening doing gum promos for his movie, got that done. And now he's coming at Daredevil when night falls. Busy man that Captain America. Daredevil may not be busy enough to keep up. And that's the end of The Man Without Fear. The next issue in this series is called Red, White, Black, and Blue. So that would be Daredevil Volume 3, Number 2. This entire run is amazing writing. I absolutely recommend you if you're a fan of good story, cleverness, wittiness, and just an action adventure. This Daredevil run is awesome. It's not my favorite Daredevil run, but I do think it's one of the best. Mark Wade, like I said, is one of my favorite writers, so I'm always going to cape for him. I don't care. I bought this comic at Jim Hanley's Universe, if I'm not mistaken. This was the largest comic book store on the Eastern Seaboard for many years and sat across the street from the Empire State Building with a life-sized Silver Surfer in the window. It was a life-sized Silver Surfer on his Silver Surf board. You don't get any cooler than that. You can't get any cooler than that. But the store closed and relocated and changed its name. Now I think the space is an arts and crafts shop or a bin store. I don't know. They take paradise, put up a parking lot, right? I spent most of my time after high school in that giant shop, poking through long boxes and reading the latest comics. It was like heaven to me. Nobody ever bothered you in Hanley's or followed you around like you were about to steal everything. It's one of the few places I've ever considered a sanctuary and I miss it often. So shout out to Jim Hanley's Universe and JHU, which it later became. And shout out to Larry the Cashier, who forgot more about comics than most people can ever hope to learn. I hope you're well, man. And that's our show this week. We know that this run of Daredevil is spectacular, and there are so many more spectacular Daredevil stories. I've added some essentials to the Patreon show notes, including my two favorite Daredevil story arcs, one of which involves a classic Spidey villain turning Daredevil's life upside down. You got a favorite Daredevil story? I'd love to check it out. Let me know in the comments. Next week's bonus episode, we have Batman Annual Number 25, the hero who's inspired a thousand orphaned origin stories, even a kid from Queens that I call my friend. You don't want to miss it as this issue shows the rebirth of Jason Todd, better known then as a failed Robin, better known today as the Red Hood. Until then, please think of the world and remember, with great power, you, already, you know already. Make sure you're being responsible. I'm out of here.